All right. Welcome. Welcome once again to our Easter service, our uh, resurrection celebration service. Um, today we're gonna we're gonna go back. We're gonna go back farther, farther than we've gone before. So <clears throat> um, Passover. Uh, the Passover celebration celebrates when the Israelites were in Egypt and they were slaves under Pharaoh, and God kept uh, showing how he was stronger than and more powerful than and and the, the, their father to Pharaoh. And on the last the last uh, plague that he sent against the Egyptians, was that the angel of death would show up in the nation of Egypt and he would visit every house and he would kill, take the life of the firstborn of every living thing. So that's people, that's animals, that's, that's everything. But what the Lord told Moses to tell the Egyptians was, a couple of days before this is going to happen, take a lamb, bring it into your home, keep it for a couple of days, and then on the day before that this was going to happen, kill that lamb and then prepare it to eat. But keep the blood. And here's what I want you to do. Take the blood and paint the doorposts of your home to indicate that you believe that God is going to preserve you. And then that's all they needed to do. Paint blood on the doorposts. And then when the angel of death showed up in Egypt to kill the firstborn, if you had the, the lamb's blood, the Passover lamb's blood on your door, the angel of death would pass over your home and keep going. So that is, that's Passover. And that's, uh, you know, celebrated in Jesus' time. Uh, it's also celebrated, you know, now with uh with Jews, and you know, maybe you've, uh, you know, got to experience a Passover seder with the uh, Jewish friends. Anywho's, <clears throat> the Passover week is what we have just been looking at in in the Book of John in these last couple of chapters, and so Passover was celebrated on their day of rest, Sabbath, which is what we would that's what we call our Saturday. And so the trial took place on the preparation day, the day before the Sabbath. So that would have been Friday. And that was the day that they crucified Jesus. He died on that cross. They took him down and they quickly prepared his body and then, you know, put it in the grave. And then that stone was laid over because the day of preparation is so that you don't have to do any work on Sabbath. You can simply relax and enjoy and, and feast. And that was the day that nobody knew what was going to happen, when everything was silent. And then, on the first day of the week, this is what happened. So picture the scene. <clears throat> Early morning, before dawn, there's still dew on the grass, birds are chirping. And all of nature is at peace, but the hearts and emotions of the characters we see are in the depths of despair. So in John chapter 19, we saw that there were some named witnesses at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. There was Mary, the mother of Jesus, 
uh, Mary's sister, another woman named Mary, the wife of Clopas, and a third Mary, Mary Magdalene, uh, as well as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Uh, the preparation of the Lord's body for burial was rushed. And in Luke chapter 24, he shares the details that the women who went to the tomb early on the first day of the week had brought the spices that they had prepared. Um, because remember that the, the Jewish custom was to wrap the linen burial cloths uh, with spices around the body. And um, this may... Uh, come across as like a, a dramatic reading because I, I I just love the humanity that comes through this. So here we go. John chapter 20. We're going to be going uh, initially uh, 1 through 10. I'm going to be reading from New Living Translation. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple the one whom Jesus loved. She said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb and we don't know where they put him. Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. And then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there, while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. And then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that, Je that said Jesus must rise from the dead. And then they went home. So <clears throat> we see immediately that there's these assumptions, right? That the only reason that the stone was taken away from the uh, entrance of the tomb was in order to move his body. That, that was the assumption. So Mary tells Peter and John, they go to investigate. And I think it's interesting. So John had been present at Jesus' trial and punishment and crucifixion and his death. So he saw what he saw the effect of that on Jesus' body, right? He outruns Peter, but when he arrives at the tomb, he he, he doesn't know what to do. Uh, the stone cover to the tomb is open; he can see inside, but he doesn't go in. Peter, on the other hand, who had said, "Jesus, I will die with you," and Jesus' response to him is, "Oh, you will." Um, because um, I happen to know before the rooster crows, you're going to deny knowing me three times. Uh, it's three, three times. My pinky doesn't. Three times. <clears throat> so, and he, and he wasn't present at the crucifixion. So he, he's got some repentance. To, he, he's, got, he's got some broken relationship to fix here, right? So <clears throat> Peter goes right into the tomb as soon as he arrives. And some theologians will note that John, um, in the statement that Jesus did so many other things, that if they were all written down, I suppose all the, the whole world could not contain all of the books that would be written. So he, he was very specific with what he chose to share. But And one of those things was to make sure 
uh, to mention that he outran Peter. Interesting, huh? Uh, anyway, so John joins Peter in the tomb, and, and here they both see the linen wrappings that had been placed around Jesus late Friday night. But if, if Jesus' body had been taken, a grave robber wouldn't bother to remove the grave clothes. And it's interesting, the way it's described, and I think I may have seen this in, in a, a televised um, version, the body wrappings lying there and the head cloth folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings, I can almost imagine resurrected Jesus simply passing through the cloth and leaving them to lie down flat after he no longer is present inside of them. So John says in verse 8 that it was then, in the empty tomb, looking at the empty grave clothes, that he believed. Seeing the empty tomb and the empty grave clothes, he believes that Jesus rose from the dead. John finally had the evidence he needed to believe that Jesus was no longer dead, but that he was, as Jesus said himself in John 12, 25, he is the resurrection and the life. Well, again, what is interesting is that they don't really know what to do about it. They're standing there, and they can only keep looking at the same empty grave clothes and the same empty tomb for so long. So in verse 10, it says, then they went home. So the next verses, uh, the focus is uh, Mary Magdalene. And it's not clear if she had followed right after Peter and John uh, or arrived while they were in the tomb or after they had left to go home. But here we find her outside the tomb. So this is uh, John chapter 20, verses 11 through 18. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. And and here's how I think it, it probably sounded. Because they have taken away my Lord! She replied, and I don't know where they have put him. Ah. <clears throat> uh, let's see, where was I? So she turned to leave <clears throat> and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him, right? She's just, you know, just a mess. And again, so, dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her, who are you looking for? And I wonder if he's like, who are you looking for? Hmm? (laughs) And uh, she thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him and I will go and get him. She's just a mess. Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, which is Hebrew for teacher. And, and it's, Rabboni, you know, she's grabbing him because Jesus says, don't, don't cling to me, Jesus said, 
For I haven't yet ascended to the Father, but go find my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. And then she gave them his message. Mary is so distraught that seeing and speaking with angels doesn't phase her, right? She just answers them and then turns to leave. Afterwards, she's ready to leave. She bumps into Jesus. But again, she's so singularly focused on recovering the dead body of her Lord that she doesn't recognize who she's talking to. We get a clear picture from Jesus' words to her that when the realization hits her that her Lord, her Rabboni, is alive and walking and talking to her, that she grabs a hold of him. She wants to hold on to Jesus, lest he leave her again. He comforts her, telling her that he has not left for good yet. He has not yet ascended in bodily form to the to the Father in heaven. The tomb is empty. The grave cloths are left behind. Jesus is risen. Sometimes, just like Peter and John, we don't really know what to do with that. Oh, he's not dead anymore? I guess I'll go home. It doesn't matter when you find out that Jesus is risen from the dead, that he died to take the punishment of your sins. That you, but you still have to unpack what that means for you. Maybe I, I don't, didn't read that quite right, but anyways. Remember what he was talking to his disciples about uh, before? He, he was saying, I'm with the Father, the Father's with me. And, and he says something about how apart from him, we can do nothing. So Peter and John show up at the empty tomb. Jesus isn't there. Uh, I guess I'll go home, right? But Mary has an interaction with Jesus, and he gives her a mission, and then she goes and does it. So I wanted to read from Romans chapter 8, verses 11 through 18, about what it can mean to you and I that Jesus is no longer in that grave, that he is alive. So here we go. <clears throat> Romans 8, 11 through 18. The spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give you life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. I'm going to break in here. So Paul's been talking about how God conquered the power of sin so that we don't have to be slaves to it anymore. And that's, that's what he's been talking about. So, and in Romans 8.3, it says this, the law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. 
<clears throat> so what are we supposed to do with this? Let's go back. Uh, Romans 8, verse uh, 12. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit, big S, you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. And now we call him Abba Father, like Daddy. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering yet. What we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. These things that John has written have been with a purpose, so that you would believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. Life by the power of his name includes putting to death through the Spirit of God the deeds of your sinful nature. Fear and death are behind door number one, but behind door number two is life by God's Spirit and power through His Spirit and adoption as God's children and glory and suffering. Oh. Yet, what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory He will reveal to us later. Friends, what do you choose? Because the choice is yours. Will you continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah and live by the power of his spirit and put to death the deeds of your sinful nature? Will you continue to doubt and live by the dictates of the urges of your sinful nature? When we are distraught, like Mary Magdalene in the garden, we can also encounter angels and Jesus himself and not give up on our singular focus of our suffering. And guys, that's one of the reasons why we pray with open hands, right? We, let me get my hands in the air. <laughs> we pray with open hands so that we're not holding on to things that the Lord might want to take from us. And we're open to receiving what he might give to us. Apart from him, we can do nothing. And with his spirit in us, we can have life by the power of his name. We can put to death the deeds of our sinful nature. Um, you know, you'll, you'll notice that Paul doesn't say put to death the urges or put to death the sinful nature necessarily. 
it's we still got to deal with it because we're still flesh and bone. But what we can put to death are the deeds of the sinful nature. We can have those urges and and say, and 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 then it really depends on what our focus is. I used to tell uh, my kids this in terms of your behavior. Um, think of it this way. I think this is like an old um, Indian telling or whatever that, you know, there's a good dog and there's a bad dog. And whichever dog you feed, that's the one that's going to be bigger and stronger and overcome the other one. So what are you focusing on? Are you focusing on the, the trial? Are you focusing on the urge? Or is your focus on the risen Jesus and his spirit and the fact that you're a child of God? The Holy Spirit, God's spirit, affirms in our spirit now that we are children of God. Holy Spirit, fill our hearts with the Father's love for us. Bridge the gap between our lack of faith or understanding and the truth of your love for us. Yes, Jesus, I believe and will continue to believe that you are the Messiah. You are the one who takes away the sin of the world. That includes my sin. I believe that you have forgiven me for my sins, and I believe that your spirit lives in me. I submit my spirit to your spirit. Holy Spirit, have your way with me. Lead me to life and lead me to power and lead me through suffering and lead me to glory, to God's glory. Guys, I I learned this uh, little thing when I was trying to overcome a, a specific area of sin in my life. And it was like this breathing exercise where you, as you breathe in, you pray in your head, Holy Spirit, retake control of my life. And as you exhale, you confess your sins, right? Forgive me for my, my lust. Forgive me for my lack of self-control. Forgive me for my, um, my selfishness. Holy Spirit, retake control of my life and take this away from me. So let's honor Jesus' sacrifice and his victory by committing one of those sinful urges to death by the power of his spirit. What's something that you're ashamed of that brings a spirit of fear with it that leads to death? When that urge arises and you know it, and you know it will, turn the eyes of your heart to Jesus, who conquered sin and death. You have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. That's like freedom, guys. Through the power of God's Spirit, put to death the deeds of your sinful nature. And what does that look like? I don't know. Paul didn't really like, you know, step one, step two. So I think... It's going to be, all right, Jesus, how how do we do this? Talk me through this. Holy Spirit, come inside of me and and walk me through uh, applying your power to put to death the deeds of this urge that I'm, I'm sensing from my sinful nature. That is what we can do. And the thing is, guys, we can't do it alone. I, I, I am so looking forward to being with you all again. And I hope that many of you decide to join us for our um, our LinkedIn 
on LinkedIn, our Zoom uh, fellowship time in a little bit. But um, we can't do it alone. And isn't it great? It, the Spirit of God lives in us so that we are not apart from him. Unless, unless our attention is off of him, then we're kind of apart from him. So here we go. Heavenly Father, once again, we thank you. We thank you for your good gift. And we pray that you would be inspiring us, that you would lead us, that, that the life that we have through your spirit, through the, the, by the power of your name, Jesus Christ, would take us through all the mystery, take us through all the suffering, take us through all the, the unknowns, Lord, and that we would just take everything to you in prayer. Sometimes I think that we don't see answers to, um, from you because we don't ask you. It's on us to bring to you the desires of our hearts because you want to be in relationship with us. Lord, I pray that this week, maybe even today for the first time, we would say, yeah, I want to be in relationship with God. I want to be called a child of God. I want to have that spirit living in me. And so I, I think that's all it is. In our heart, in our mind, you know, turn your attention toward the Lord Jesus. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And the spirit that raised him lives in you. Let me pr pronounce this blessing over you guys, and then we'll let you enjoy your eggs and chocolates, etc. I have an egg. But it's empty, just like the tomb. Guys, may the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. Amen.